This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. Hi, I'm Sylvia Tchaikovska, Associate Director of Operational Risk at RMA. Today I'm joined by Anne-Marie Giblin. She is the founding and principal attorney of Giblin Law PLLC, which specializes in cyber and privacy law. Anne-Marie is considered a cyber law thought leader who regularly speaks about cyber and privacy law. Anne-Marie, thanks for joining us today. You, along with the other members of the RMA's Operational Risk Council, recently developed a checklist to help organizations navigate the complexities surrounding the purchase of cyber insurance coverage, particularly in the light of increasingly complex environment in which institutions are operating. In this piece that can also be found in the July-August edition of the RMA Journal, you raised a number of issues institutions should consider in this volatile environment that we will address here. If an institution currently does not have a cyber insurance policy, how can it otherwise prepare to respond to and address a cybersecurity incident? Thank you so much for having me, Sylvia and RMA. Um, And that's a great question. Um, Right now, institutions should be considering having a cyber insurance policy. And one of the reasons we did the checklist was to help clear up some of the confusion surrounding obtaining one and preparing to obtain one. But if it doesn't currently have a cyber insurance policy or doesn't plan on getting one, it's definitely great to take a step back and work cyber risk into your overall risk framework. So that really means taking a look at the, at the organization's individual cyber risk, which can be complex and vary depending on the type of business you're in. For financial institutions, that can mean a number of different things. It can mean what type of business are you in as far as having open branches, ATMs, remote locations? Where are your customers located and what type of business are they doing with you? Do you have any customers dealing with cryptocurrencies or crypto assets? And are you prepared to bring that type of risk into your organization and now update it to include AML and KYC risk with regards to crypto assets? Additionally, taking a step back and looking how your employees communicate, where they work and where they're working from. Is it home? Is it via remote service now? Is it in a branch or in an office? All of these things go into a very complicated question of what is my individual cyber risk and how are we managing it? Now, you have to do this from the perspective of not only securing the data that you have running through your organization and making sure that all your cyber doors are closed and locked, but also ensuring that you're prepared to respond to a cybersecurity incident. Now, having a cyber insurance policy will help with a lot of this. It will not solve every problem, but it'll definitely put the organization in a better situation to evaluate their risk have another company, the insurance company, evaluate their risk, and then prepare to transfer some of that risk. But regardless of whether or not an institution has a cyber insurance policy, they still need to prepare to respond to an incident. So again, talking about individual cyber risk and then preparing for it via a cyber insurance incident response plan, having all of the necessary infosec, accessible use policy, um, internet policies, and all of those things in place will really help you be prepared. And I would just add a final note to that, running tabletop exercises or red team events where you actually bring a forensic provider in that you've already engaged, that understands your individual risk profile and is ready to test those those policies with you 
is really key in understanding not only how cyber risk can affect your entire organization, but how well and able you're ready to prepare for it. And then running through those problems or gaps that are identified and beefing up your incident response policy. And Marie, can you briefly explain what silent cyber insurance coverage is and how new mandates to specifically address cyber risk in non-cyber policies affect the overall cybersecurity risk management program? Yes, um, silent cyber is actually a really hot topic right now. Silent cyber really refers to cyber coverage that may come out of a traditional insurance policy. Most of the time in a traditional property and casualty policy or a general risk policy or an all risk policy. So right now, and I have a terrible example for this, so I apologize, but really to understand, and I always give this example of if you own a building and you have elevators in your building and somebody hacks into the system that controls the elevators and decides to drop them all at lunchtime, you have property damage, you have personal injury, and you have reputational risk, obviously, and regulatory risk, and so many risks that comes out of that. But a lot of different claims would come out of that. Now, if you take a step back, the real capitalist that was the cyber incident, it was somebody hacking into the system and dropping the elevators. But in reality, it really would go to a PNC policy to say, well, my building was damaged and these people were hurt. That would be an example, a terrible example of silent cyber coverage. Right now, what we're seeing, especially in New York, is the Department of Financial Services has come out with a new cybersecurity risk framework for insurance companies. As part of that framework, they have mandated that insurance companies go through their non-cyber policies and effectively deal with and manage the cyber risk, which includes excluding it when needed. So at this point, if you have an all-risk policy that doesn't mention cybersecurity or cyber risk at all, your new policy on renewal will either affirmatively address that and address what portions of cyber risk it will cover in conjunction with the rest of the policy, or it will specifically exclude that risk, meaning that if something of that nature happens, it may likely be excluded. Now I say may, because this is all new. We're not gonna really see how these are tested until litigation comes and the market and the courts really make their say. However, an organization that is relying on a non-cyber policy for those types of cyber risks needs to prepare now to know that they either will be severely limited or not covered at all. Can an organization's fidelity crime policy provide coverage for the theft or money related to cyber incident? It can in some instances, but again, going back to what we just spoke about with cyber risk and non-cyber policies, this is a great example of that. Fidelity crime policies at, from, from the market right now can add this in via an endorsement or some policies even added in as an affirmative coverage. However, it is usually not as comprehensive as having a traditional cyber insurance policy that could endorse that type of crime on easily, more easily, and then have more coverage for the types of cyber situations you're seeing this happen in. Usually this is happening through a business email compromise or some type of spoofing attempt or bad phishing attempt. And when that happens, it can be very devastating, especially for an organization, because that type of crime will sometimes fit into an exception in the policy or an exclusion. So it is great to have a fidelity crime policy that adds on cyber coverage, but I wouldn't rely exclusively on that coverage to cover all of your cyber risk. 
Um, I would really look to a more traditional cyber policy that endorses on this specific type of crime. How can the standard war exclusion affect an organization's cyber insurance policy? The war exclusion is actually something that's in the news right now, Um, not as heavily as the ransomware issue, but it's definitely something the cyber legal community is watching very closely. Now, there are a few core cases surrounding this, but they actually don't deal with a cyber policy. But taking a step back and realizing where most cyber incidents stem from, it's really nation state actors. And we're starting to see the United States government take a much more proactive and serious approach to this type of crime, especially when it's dealing with nation state actors and known state sponsored actors. Depending on how the United States government treats this type of crime and what type of charges and international ramifications come about, there is a possibility that a standard war exclusion in the cyber policy could impact coverage. As of right now, we're not seeing that happen in the market. So for the most part, everything is okay. And also some cyber insurers specifically write their war exclusion to not include these types of cyber incidents. However, if we do see a very serious cyber incident stemming from a state actor or state sponsored actor that is akin to a declaration of war or some type of international incident, it is possible that this might be an issue. So it's definitely something to speak with your broker about and take a look at the individual exclusion and how it may impact the the organization's individual cyber risk. Could you elaborate a little bit on how can organizations strengthen their front-end cybersecurity program and with doing so, put the organization in a better position for underwriting for a cyber insurance policy? Yes, this is something that should be done on an annual basis, biannually if possible, but continuing to look at how you're dealing with your front-end cybersecurity. So what programs are you using? What vendors do you rely on? Do you have a fintech provider? Do you have a really great firewall? Do you have a, a new artificial intelligence type of security that's constantly monitoring systems? Really taking a look at not only within the parameters of your budget and your abilities, but how you're protecting the front end of your cyber risk using multi-factor authentication, using a complicated password policy, having really strong infosec and acceptable public use policies. This is something that's a constant battle because as we always say in the cyber community, the criminals only have to get it right once. We have to be right every single time. And that only also goes back to what we were talking about too with an individual organization's cyber risk. Looking again at what your organization's cyber risk is, where are your open cyber doors? Where does your data live? How is it being protected? And what is my crown jewel data? And then having a provision for backup in the event of a ransomware or some other type of incident, making sure that you can get back up and running if you are the victim of a cyber incident. All of these things go into preparing for front end cybersecurity in a realistic manner. Included with that is training your employees. Right now, spear phishing attempts are really the way that a lot of ransomware um, things are getting in, but it's not just spear phishing. There's also smishing attempts, which is somebody texting, text messaging a phishing attempt to somebody where they click on it on their phone. There's calls, there's um, robocalls or even scam callers that are calling your employees and convincing them that they're legitimate business partners and giving them information or getting in that way. Monitoring your social employee, the social media of your employees. Right now, a really a, a great tool, something I love to use is LinkedIn, but it can be a really big uh, gap in your, in your cyber risk 
where you have your employees on there advertising what they do, where they work, what their roles are. All of these things should be tra- you know, trained to your employees to understand that this is the information you have out there. If you see something suspicious or something funny, it's better to err on the side of caution than to just you know, click on something and let someone in. So all of these things, training, front-end security, policies and procedures, all of this goes into making sure that front-end security is front of mind. And I'll just add this as well too. Regulators have been really clear that it is no longer acceptable to be ignorant of these types of issues. So you can no longer claim, oh, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do multi-factor authentication. I don't know I was supposed to have a password policy. We are at the point where cyber risk is very well known and the, the basics, the very basics of what to do are extremely well known. So at the very minimum, you should be doing what everybody else is doing. The best practice is to tailor those things to your individual risk and your organization to be as best prepared as possible for these types of attempted intrusions. Thank you. And, and you know, Anne-Marie, that our members pay a big attention to frameworks. So how does a cyber insurance policy fit into an organization's overall cyber risk management framework? Um, it actually can fit in holistically. And I, I think it's something that should really be built around um, and I'm merely cyber risk, I'm saying, but cyber risk should be front of mind in an, in an organization's overall risk management framework. But a cyber insurance policy can really fit in as a great risk transfer mechanism. It can also be that double check of how are we doing on our front end cybersecurity? How are we doing on our policies and procedures? When you go for the underwriting of a cyber insurance policy, they're going to ask you a lot of detailed questions that may make you think or reevaluate how you're approaching cybersecurity from the front end. So I'm ready to secure my environment. These are the things I've been doing. And now my insurer is asking me, have I done some other stuff? You know what? Maybe we should do some other stuff. Not only would it get us a better rate and put us in a better position to be insured, but it'll help secure and strengthen our front end cybersecurity. So it actually plays a really great role in not only getting everything prepared and organized, but transferring as much of the risk as possible. Now, as a reminder, there's no way to transfer all of this risk. Um, and that's just the, this, the situation with every type of risk. There's really no way to fully transfer it, but a cyber insurance policy will help you transfer a, a great deal of it and get you in that better position to be the victim of a cyber incident. And uh, final questions, knowing that on the recent OCC semi-annual risk report, cyber as well as third party uh, pay a big role in in that report and the operational risk is elevated because of those two. I really want to merge those two together for the final question. Should an organization be requiring its third party vendors to maintain a cyber insurance policy? That's really up to the individual organization, but I think a best practice would be yes. Um, Again, when we're talking about risk transfer and also front-end cybersecurity, having a vendor that has a cyber insurance policy checks a lot of boxes. It helps you evaluate whether or not that vendor is able to secure your data in the same manner that you are, which obviously is a regulatory requirement. You are liable for anything that your vendor does with your data, regardless of how good they are or how bad they are. So it's really important to vet third-party vendors and make sure that they can secure your data as well as you are. But additionally, it helps transfer some of the risk of that. Because again, you remain liable. You are the ultimate party that's going to deal with the regulators, the lawsuits, and all of that if something goes wrong. Having your vendor have a cyber insurance policy 
will not only help you transfer some of that risk, but it will make sure that you are protected to a certain degree if the incident stemming from them. Now, again, it doesn't necessarily have to be the kill switch of any vendor, but it is a really great policy to have in place if you're doing that. I would also like to mention with third-party vendors, making sure that your contract addresses this type of risk and not only that they have to maintain the same level of security that you do for your data, that they are limiting access to your data and that they have a good cyber risk framework in, in place as well, but also making sure that you put in there that if there's a data incident that stems from them, that you have the right to go in and do your own investigation. This is actually a huge point of contention right now, especially in um, software as a service agreements but as, and, and fintech providers, but it's really important to get some level of access in because if the vendor has an incident that implicates you and you can't get in there to investigate it, that could be a really bad day. So making sure all of those things come together in a third-party vendor risk management program is really important. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for joining us today. And I appreciate you taking time to help our members navigate the complexities surrounding the purchase of cyber insurance coverage. Thank you so much, Sylvia. It's always a pleasure to speak to you and RMA. And thank you again.